This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome to a Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. We are recording this on a dreary, awful Atlanta night. Grant's familiar with this because Grant McCauley is also an Atlanta resident. And Grant, don't you just love going from like 70 degrees, clear skies to just a torrential downpour and... Uh, the great Atlanta traffic that comes with it. Well, the great Atlanta traffic is something you can always count on, even though you don't want to. But yeah, this weather's been really dreary for it feels like about the last month. It finally cooled off, and then it's it's almost like, hey, you know what? Since it's cooled off, here's some mist and rain that's going to last, you know, 19 or 20 hours a day. So, yeah, it's been a little rough lately, but you know, thankfully we haven't shut down the city for snow yet, so I think we're still ahead of the game. Yeah, we have, what, three weeks before that happens? Or we have to Something like that. that. Yeah, yeah it, it's always possible. Yeah, maybe that's what uh, the Super Bowl, maybe we get another ice bowl, because isn't that what oh happened my. in, what, 99? I think the rams Titan Super Bowl in Atlanta, there was an ice bowl, and everybody lost power and all that kind of stuff. So maybe that's what happens again, and the Saints actually can't play in uh, yeah. downtown Atlanta in the Super Bowl. Yeah, there, you go. Uh, there are a lot of people trying to keep the Saints out of Atlanta and trying to keep them out of Flowery Branch, I was noticing as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how exactly the playoffs you know, play out before we punch their ticket just yet. But yeah, I don't think too many Atlanta residents will be unhappy to see the Saints not make it to town. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Trey Wingo tweeted out uh, this morning that I think nine of the last ten um, Super Bowl participants of the last five years were the number one seed. Mm-hmm. And the Saints are in prime position to get the number one seed at this point because the Rams have kind of faltered as the last couple weeks. So it uh, yep. it's not good. I would go ahead and uh, bet on the Saints having a Super Bowl situation. But I guess the alternative is that like uh, they get to the Super Bowl and then they lose in horrific fashion in Atlanta just to add insult to injury. Maybe that's the that's the play here. Yeah, it could be. Uh, I think that game in Minnesota last year was pretty interesting. So yeah. uh, you never know what can happen in the playoffs. You just got to get there, right? I mean, the Falcons yeah. found out you just got to get there, and then they found out how uh, tough it can be sometimes to finish off a game. So, yeah, we've had a, a lot of interesting football storylines, and not all of them have involved the New Orleans Saints and Atlanta Falcons uh, lore over the last couple of years. So you know what has not been interesting in Atlanta the last couple of weeks, and it should be 
it's the Atlanta Braves winter meetings, their offseason news and notes. They uh, kind of pushed it out there a little bit that, oh, maybe the Braves uh, might be getting into the JT Romuto sweepstakes. No, that was never going to happen. They were never going to give up the pieces that they would need to to get somebody like him. But it was just like, oh, remember Brian McCann? They, they did. They added Jeff Rancourt to the broadcast team. Like mm-hmm. they knew they really understand their fan base and how to push certain things. Cause I think the fan base is generally pretty happy, but there have been some articles that I've been reading on talking chop. That's kind of getting, uh, people are getting a little antsy. Scott Coleman, I think wrote one about like why the JT Romuto stuff was never going to happen. But, um, I don't know. It, it's, it is kind of odd for a team that just won the division is kind of ahead of schedule to have this quiet of an off season and, just seem like they're pretty comfortable with where they're at and they're going to continue to push a sustainability and that kind of stuff. But are you, I want to start there. Are you at all surprised that the Braves have been very quiet uh, so far this off season? Not necessarily. Cause I feel like just going back over the last few years, the Braves have made a lot of moves in January and that obviously was a different front office. I mean, Alex Anthopoulos just came on about a year ago and has just completed, I think, that first year that he wanted to spend really getting to know the organization so he could understand what he inherited. And what he inherited was a very good young team with some major league pieces that were in place and then a bunch of young talent that really stepped up last year. And it was kind of a perfect storm and very unexpected for the Braves to win the National League East a year ago. The division kind of faltered. The Nationals really never seemed to find themselves. And then the Phillies got off to that hot start, and then they completely faded in August and September, even when the Braves were not necessarily playing their best baseball. But looking at it from, what, 30,000 feet, I think, is the altitude we like to look at things from. I mean, Mm -hmm. the Braves did make a splash to start the offseason by bringing in Josh Donaldson. I know it's only a one-year deal, but I just look at that player and that kind of bat as the kind of protection or the the kind of, you know, uh, partner in crime, if you want to call it that, that Freddie Freeman has really never had if Josh Donaldson's healthy. So I think that's a huge move. I know it's only a one-year deal, but I do think it speaks to the fact that, you know, Anthopoulos knows what kind of player Josh Donaldson is, and I think that that's exactly what he wanted to add to make an impact, offensively speaking. I still expect the Braves to make a couple of different moves, a couple of trades in particular for a front-of-the-rotation pitcher, and I think that that's probably what they're trying to figure out from clubs that are shopping, you know, top arms, particularly the Indians would be my guess, what exactly is it going to cost to get a guy like Corey Kluber? I think a lot of clubs are probably having that same conversation. But I'm wondering if the Braves are looking at it with, they've got a lot of prospect capital. They've got a lot of young pieces in place. Do you want to you know, erode that system for a short-term return? And I think the answer to that is no. And I think that's why the Braves have not found themselves dealing away a lot of their prospects just yet, though they might deal away some big ones in order to get some major league proven help for a club that just won a division. But I also kind of look at it as they're not just aiming at 2019. I think that that is the thing that might be frustrating people the most is the, yeah, there's free agents out there. There's trades to be made. And I think the fan base, every time somebody that you kind of like signs with a rival, like say Andrew McCutcheon, for example, you kind of think, Hey, well, why can we get that guy? And then you look Especially at the contract and you think, do you think, do I want Andrew McCutcheon for three years and 50 million going forward? Four years ago, I would have said, yeah. But now, I just don't think they're in the years for that. Yeah. So it'll be They'll interesting to see exactly like what they do. Jones in right field for like one year, seventeen million or something like that. It feels yeah, like yeah. that's where they're going. 
You know, what's funny is I just wrote an article today about Adam Jones and, and if he is a, you know, a perfect candidate to be the Braves right fielder this year. And mm-hmm. I think that Adam Jones kind of slots below the Michael Brantley's and Andrew McCutcheon's that we've already seen signed for 16 million a year. Yeah. I think you might be able to get Adam Jones for say six or $8 million. Maybe you put some incentives in there. Maybe mm-hmm. you put some kind of team friendly option if you like him for the next year. And I would also say the same thing for Nick Markakis, who could be on his way back to Atlanta or just never leave Atlanta, depending on how all these other options fall. The Braves love Nick for a number of different reasons. But I think they did want to assess what's out there, either in free agency or trade, that they could bring in to really upgrade their lineup. Donaldson coming over, though, changes a lot of that. And if they could find a serviceable right fielder and spend some of their money on bullpen help and then maybe make that trade for the starting pitcher they need, a lot of things can fall into place, and we still got about two months for it all to happen, and spring training after that. So there's a couple things I want to touch on. And the first thing is that the Josh Donaldson signing has already feel it, it it's kind of crazy that it just kind of went under the radar. I mean, it was a good moment because he like grew up as a Braves fan and all that. But, and it kind of came out of nowhere because of the kind of second half that Johan Camargo had that I think we kind of all had talked ourselves into him just being another year at third base. He was good. He was in the middle of the order. He was, he was just something that the Braves really needed. And it was like, yeah, he's a utility guy, but at the same time, maybe there is something more here. Maybe you do give him a full year at third base and see what happens. Maybe you um, use those resources that you would have used on Josh Donaldson elsewhere. And Donaldson just comes into the fold and you knew Alex Anthopoulos always liked him and that kind of stuff. But I guess I just kind of wonder because of the hell stuff is so real where they're just guys that we love and we remember the MVP stuff. We remember how good they were a couple of years ago. And Donaldson was good when he was on the field last year, but he misses a lot of games and at his age and at that one year, $20 million bet on himself deal. I just, I'm pretty dubious that it pans out. And I think we're going to see, like, if I had to bet on who gets more opportunities at third base for the Braves this year between Camargo and Donaldson, I'd I'd bet on Camargo. I I don't trust Donaldson. And I think it's flashy. And I would love if we got Josh Donaldson for 162 games. But I don't think that's realistic at this point. And I think it's, um, you hope for the best. You really just hope that he's around in September, October, that kind of deal where if the Braves are back in the thick of things, they have him down the stretch because you just, we don't really know, um, how a lot of the rest of this roster is going to shake out and what Dansby's going to look like next year. And, um, does Freeman keep it up? Does, what is the catcher situation with Kurt Suzuki gone and Brian McCann in the mm-hmm. fold? Like there's still a lot of question marks in this team. And, um, what is Albie's as a player like we saw that second half i mean nick marcagas had the same kind of stuff where if you look at his numbers like what was it like past june 1st very pedestrian but he was just so yep. good early in the season that his numbers still look pretty solid but he was not someone you could count on down the stretch and acuna is just so good that now it's just kind of crazy that he's just locked in as like a superstar for the next 10 years so the braves know they kind of have time to figure this out and they can not uh, swing for the fences uh, at the present time but I uh, I don't know. I think these cheap bargain deals sound good in theory, but um, Josh Donaldson playing 30 games for the Braves would not all, would not be that surprising next year. And then you talk about the prospect capital, where we there was a good piece I read a couple of days ago, kind of highlighting how it's, there's never been a better time to move on from uh, just top 100 baseball perspectives prospects for guys who can play right now, and it's just. You're seeing teams like the White Sox, the Phillies um, invest so much into their young prospects that it just has turned into a, 
really, really painful long rebuild because not everyone can do what the Houston Astros and the Chicago Cubs did. Um, but they're also spending now that they're where they're at right now. They're like, okay, we're here. We're not going to go cheap. We're going to keep this thing going. We're going to spend the money to keep this thing chugging along. Obviously, the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to do that. But now you have teams in big markets who are getting kind of antsy about this whole rebuilding thing, like in Chicago and Philadelphia, which has always been my big fear about what's coming down the pipe with Philadelphia that Braves fans have kind of ignored, I feel like. But I, I wonder, at what point do you trade Colby Allard? What point do you just go, okay, we have a lot of starting pitching depth. That's great. Um, but at uh, if we could get somebody, like one other person to help Acuna, if we don't see Ozzy Albies as a star down the line, do we just bank on one star really in this pipeline, a positional player, um, to keep this thing going? Because who knows when Freddie Freeman falls off a cliff. Like he's an MVP type right now, but will he be in three years? I don't know. Maybe. Um but I just, I wonder if they're being too cautious. I mean, yeah, well, there's a lot of stuff there that we could certainly, uh, you know, delve into. a lot at you. I, this, I've yeah. been chewing on this for the last couple of weeks, as you can tell. Sure. And, and, well, and there's a lot to chew on. But I, I think the biggest thing, and kind of going back to what I said earlier, was I don't think Alex Anthopoulos is loading up, you know, the proverbial, you know, gun with one bullet and aiming it at 2019 and saying, this has got to be it. I think that he's what he's looking at is the long-term sustainability model, much like something he saw in Los Angeles, and and something I'd say about Houston, something I'd say about, you know, maybe a couple of other clubs. I think the Red Sox did this really well as well. Is depth and having the Braves have more infield depth right now than they have had at any time in at any point I can think of the Atlanta Braves going all the way back to the '90s, because you bring in the American League MVP a couple of years ago, three years ago to play third base. You still have Johan Camargo, who they like. You have Dansby Swanson, who has shown a lot, I think, in the field, but has yet to really mature as a hitter. You have Ozzie Albies, but you need to figure out which Ozzie Albies are you going to get. Is it going to be that first-half guy that was an all-star, or is it going to be the second-half guy that could not really make sustainable um, contributions, especially from the left side of the plate where he gets the bulk of his at-bats? That was a big question mark. Freddie Freeman had about a five-week I would say funk last year where you kind of wondered if it was time to maybe give him a day off or two. And Nick Marcakis, as you mentioned, he did not have the same kind of second half. So really a lot of what the Braves did last year, I think was at least down the stretch kind of covered up by Ronald Acuna and Ender and Ciarte started to play a lot better, but I think people might've kind of got caught up in the, you know, I called it Acuna Palooza when he was coming through the minors because it's exciting. And it's one of the most entertaining things that you're going to see when a player of that talent comes in and does the things he's doing. But I think overall, a lot of guys wore down. So I go back to that depth and I say, maybe Josh Donaldson plays 120 games in the field, DHs their interleague games, pinch hits in a number of games, and you hope that he's healthy for the entire year. You're banking on him being healthy for $23 million because I, you know, I don't look at that and say that's a bargain. I say there's no bad one-year deals, but $23 million you're hedging your bets. This guy is going to be a contributor, not somebody that's sitting on the disabled list for, you know, a hundred games, which he did last year. So it could happen. It's totally possible. But the thing I'm saying about the depth is you've got Camargo that can play short. Anthopoulos has said, we'll look at Ozzy Albies at shortstop, which is what he played in the minors. Camargo can play second. And so can Dansby Swanson. And so can Ozzy Albies. You know, Camargo can play some third base. Charlie Culberson can play everywhere. You just have more depth around the infield than they've had at any time that I can remember. 
And I think that's nothing but a good thing for an offense that really wilted in the second half. So I think that's some of the method to the madness of giving Josh Donaldson $23 million for one year. I don't think they have depth, though, and maybe that's the difference. Is I don't think Dansby... No, I totally disagree. Okay. I mean, I just don't think Dansby is someone who should be in their long-term plans anymore. I think that's... Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't. Just... I, I think that I think that that's really. I mean, you know, not to you know get get off on a rant or something, but I think that Dansby Swanson is a guy that shows up in big moments, but has not showed up in the entirety of his resume. You can look at his numbers, and you're not wrong to say, you know, he doesn't really offensively. He doesn't move the needle. But that guy, time and time again, seems to really have a nose for big moments and big plays, both in the field. And at the plate, and there's a lot of intangibles that I think made him the player that he was at Vanderbilt and made him that number one pick. Will he be better than Ozzy Albies long term offensively? Maybe not. Maybe not better than Johan Camargo, but I just look at it and say these are the things that winning teams have multiple guys that can play multiple positions, some they play very well, and you're able to keep guys fresher longer. And I think that's something the Braves really thought about adding Donaldson to that mix. And having the possibility of if Ozzy Albies goes in a deep freeze for 40 games, maybe Johan Camargo is playing second base, and you're not oh, giving Ozzy Albies every single night to go out and get you know into the you know 200 no power, lots of strikeouts, no walks thing that he got into the last couple of months. And I'm not saying you got to do it for 40 games, but you don't have to stick and stay as long as you do. You can mix and match and look for the right matchups to help guys get through it. And also come October not be completely out of gas, which I think this club may have been, may have been. But see, that's extremely concerning to me if that's the case with Albies. Like, this team's future is in, like, with the way the roster is constructed right now and who's coming down the pipeline and just Austin Riley, he might be great. We'll see. Um, or if he's on the team, he might get traded uh, for Zach Greinke or something. Wouldn't rule it out. I don't think uh, Arizona loves having Jake Lamb at third. Um, and I would do it. Would you do that? If it costs Austin Riley to get Zach Greinke for a couple of years? If the Diamondbacks are paying about half of Zach Greinke's $105 no, no, million. No, 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 no. Yeah. The Braves need to, like, the, the payroll is not significant yet. And I think Zach Greinke is still good enough to warrant that. $35 million dollars a year, though. Yes. I just don't see any way the and Braves or any, any club's going to take that. No, oh, I, I, I don't think that. so. As the president the performance. of the Zach Greinke <laughs> fan club, I, um, I've been pushing for Zach Greinke to be a Brave yeah. for about 10 years now. And it dated back to the maybe the incorrect rumors that uh, were floated years and years ago of the Jeff Francoeur for mm-hmm. uh, Zach Greinke stuff just would have been interesting, back, wouldn't it? back in the day. Yeah. Um, what could have been? But yeah, I just, the Braves just scare me because I think a lot of fans got like, kind of like what you said, where they, they lost a lot of momentum down the stretch. We know how it ended in the playoffs. It, it, it kind of bothered me just how much people were talking themselves into them beating the Dodgers and everything. It's like, uh, no, no. And I, I just, we'll have to see what they do with right field. That's a big yep. thing, but they have to start spending or they're going to go in the Indians category where they're going to pseudo contend for like five years, but they're never going to have the firepower to get past the Cubs, get past the Red Sox, the Yankees. Cause those teams are not going anywhere anytime soon. The Astros, like they don't have anything in the pipeline now. Um, just over the, like for the long haul, but all their best players are in their prime basically. So they're not, 
<laughs> they're not going anywhere. And the Dodgers, we know that, like, I mean, we should n- not assume that they're going anywhere anytime soon either. So when you think about that, you think about what you're up against. The Braves cannot afford to go cheap, but I think they will. And that's been my biggest concern is that I think the Braves are Cleveland Indians East. And the Indians are a very smart team. Uh, but they have an attendance problem. They have a money problem, and they're never going to spend enough to compete realistically with the other Giants. And yes, they went to the World Series, and yes, they pushed the Cubs, but that was a one-time thing, and it would not surprise anyone if they never got back. And the Braves yeah. have this once-in-a-generation player in Ronald Acuna, like an absolute home run. Alex Anthopoulos has to push this ownership group to spend. Like That's the only way the Braves are really going to contend, because guess who is out there saying... He's ready to spend stupid money. The Philadelphia Phillies owner. And the Phillies are tired of what's going on there. Like, they're probably going to get Machado. We were reading, like, they're doing dinner and they're doing more schmozzing after the fact. Like, there's a bunch of ex-Orioles guys in that front office. We know that that's probably going to happen. If he gets Manny Machado, like, that's yeah. a huge win for Philadelphia. I, think I wouldn't rule out Bryce Harper for them either. Like, my prediction this offseason was they're getting both. And if they get both, oh, my God. Like, that team is just going to be the most unlikable team in baseball, but also one of the best. And I yeah. just think people need to worry. Like, the Braves fans and Alex Anthopoulos and guys like that. I'm not worried about Brody Van Wigeren, Virgen, Virgen, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name yet. Um, I'm not worried about the Mets turning into a functional franchise. I think the Nationals are still great, and Juan Soto kind of got pushed to the side to the Ronald Acuna stuff because he was insane for a 19-year-old as well. And I felt bad for him that Acuna was just so tantalizing as a rookie for the Braves and on a better team that he got more shine. But I don't know. I just think, don't are, are you at all concerned the Phillies are coming? I am insofar as they figure out a way to kind of get out of their own way and, and a lot of what happened last year. I, I think that Gabe Kapler in some ways, kind of, I, I don't really think that he grasps some larger scale concepts. And I think that he needs somebody on that bench with him that's going to help him, you know, manage through some of the minutiae that comes with, you know, today's baseball and some of those matchups. And then just kind of, you know, trusting and, and letting the game play out and, you know, just having a little bit of seasoning might be helpful for him. But I don't think there's any way that they're going to sign Machado and Harper. Harper, I could see. Machado, I think, ends up in the Bronx. That's really that's just my feel for that because I think the Yankees went through a lot of effort to get themselves under that luxury tax threshold, and they're going to spend some money, whether it's right now or you know in a year or two. I you know we'd really have to you know map out other free agent um, you know possibilities. But I thought when they went out and got Giancarlo Stanton a year ago, just about a year ago this week, that that precluded them from getting another outfielder or a guy who's a primary outfielder because you can't have three corner outfields, nobody that can play center and ask Bryce Harper to play center because he's an awful center fielder. He's an excellent hitter. One of the best young players in the game. He didn't have the year he wanted to going into free agency. And, and a lot of that, you know, you can look at that defense and wonder why in the world he spent all that time in center field. But you, you know, that video or read that post by Jeff Sullivan on Fangraphs, kind of outlining that issue with Bryce Harper and how perplexing it was because of how good he was every other year, and just yeah. like, he missed these weird balls. There was these clips that I was going through, and it was just like he judged things weirdly, and it was just it was a disaster, and it just yeah, it just wasn't good. To predict whether or not that's w- what he really is at this point, or he just had like this really weird bout bad year. Like I have no idea. 
I don't know. I would just park the guy in right field and be done with it and not yeah. be moving him around. I mean, like if you needed to play center field for like a series or something because so-and-so's hurt or because you have a great matchup and you just, you're not worried about the defense, but I don't want him out there 140, 150 times, you know, not counting days. He might DH if he goes to AL, I wouldn't want him playing center field in the Bronx for, you know, signing him to a 10 year contract with that being the understanding. Cause you've got judge and you've got Stanton and they're both corner outfielders They're really both, I would say right fielders if you want to get down to it. But, you know, obviously they both can't play the same place at the same time. I just don't think they're stocked for another outfielder, which is why Machado makes more sense for that team. And they are going to spend the money. And I think they want him. And, you know, with the Alex Rodriguez connection, which is big for Machado and the fact that, you know, the Yankees just seem to have been trending toward Machado. I've felt like for the last couple of years, once he hit free agency, that's where I really see that going. But to get all the way back to the Braves and the spending and the, and the NLE spending and whatnot, and Liberty Media at some point could say, hey, we're going to spend whatever we want to spend on this. But they're running the Braves, I've felt like, more as a, a, a line on a budget sheet than they've been running them like a Major League Baseball team that has a an individual owner who is interested in you know getting to the World Series. Like This is not a Mike Illich, you know, from Detroit who was going to pour his money into that team, hoping that they would win. And this is just not that thing for them. But I do think that the last couple of years, the Braves have had their highest payrolls in team history. And it was over $130 million at the end of last year. They better figure out a way before opening day, probably to be at least close to that number. Otherwise it's going to be very weird to have your GM come in and be assured that, Hey, you can spend on whatever you want. And the money will be there, and you won't have to worry about it. And so far as making an acquisition, they won't be totally hamstrung financially. Then to not even come anywhere close to the payroll that they've had the last couple of years, that would be curious. Which That's would you something bet on that right I've certainly pondered. I think that they're going to go out and make that trade and find somebody who's making probably significant money that is going to come over and slot into the rotation. That is my guess. Now Zach Grinky makes hmm. a ton of sense. But I'm I'm all in for Zach Grinky for three years and, and sixty million dollars total. I'm not in on Zach Grinky for thirty five million dollars a year and, and many clubs are not. And I think Arizona's gonna have to eat some money uh to maybe to improve the kind of prospects they get back in return at this point. And not because Zach Grinky's bad, but because that contract is unwieldy for better than half of the clubs in major league baseball. And I would say the Braves are right on the cusp there of being able to maybe finagle a way to get that done. I've always thought that'd be an interesting thing. I wrote about it uh, a little bit earlier this offseason and put Grinky on my list because I do think he's a fascinating arm. He's a little bit older, but he's still very effective, and he's he's a proven you know, number one style pitcher that the Braves have not had in quite some time and could use. So he'd be on the list of guys I would look at. Kluber, I think, is the ultimate get. If he could find a way to get Corey Kluber, that's what I would do. And I would really just stop chasing the squirrel with the JT Romuto stuff. I mean, if you can get him, he's fantastic, but he's not worth some of the asking prices. The Marlins have purportedly been, you know, pushing on the Braves, which a year ago included Ronald Lacuna. And at some point, depending on who you believe reported, they turned down Austin Riley and Mike Soroka for JT Romuto. I don't need two years of a catcher that, that bad. Not, not uh, maybe, but I would have okay. probably preferred to keep Soroka. You know, that's just kind of a personal preference. Yeah. But like two top prospects for Rumuto, I would like. Mm -hmm. I, I'd like to see who they are. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have panned the deal. But of course, time tell, time's always going to be the thing that tells. You know, I've, I've always felt the instant grade for trades is kind of silly unless they're mm -hmm. just really lopsided and bad, and we can all tell from from the get go. But prospects are just that.
You know, yeah, they're minor sure league guys with perspective potential. It's super more. valuable. I, I think it's super valuable because there's so little good catching across baseball. I mean, name me the five best catchers in baseball right now. The five best? The five best catchers in baseball right now. Mm, this is... Exactly. The spot here. I'm not even going to make you go through the exercise. But but yeah, but think about it a little while and tell me who the five best guys are because I can tell you Yadi Molina is still one of them. Yeah. Buster Posey's kind of on the fence because, you know, he, he's having he's hip surgery, so he's it. supposed to be a little better. He's healthy. Yeah. When, when healthy, that. though, that's yeah. the problem, though, is when healthy or there's a lot of things that you have to put on to say, oh, well, yeah, well, this guy would be on the list, oh, but he's hurt, or but this, or but that. There just aren't a lot of great catchers, I guess is what I'm saying. So Remuto is a very interesting trade chip, but I think the Marlins have kind of talked themselves or been talked into the idea that maybe we didn't maximize our returns for Stanton because of the money, but you really didn't get a, a great return for Marcelo Zuna, and you haven't really gotten anything that lit the world on fire that first year from Christian Yelich, and now he's sitting there with an MVP trophy. Maybe they're just really overcooking the JT Romuto thing. That, that just kind of is the feel that I get. They feel like they can't miss, so they're going to ask for the moon and, and hope that they get it, I guess. And they, they may or may not leverage themselves out of some deals. Final thing, and then we'll go. Give me your predictions. How does this Braves offseason end? Who do they get, and what does that MVP roster look like? Oh, goodness. I mean, if I could go get anybody, I would go get Corey Kluber as okay. far as the, the big acquisitions concerned. I'd love to figure out how to get Mitch Hanniger from the Seattle Mariners. I know we didn't talk mm. about him a lot, but I love him. Four years of control going into his prime years of his career. Seattle's in kind of a weird limbo place right now where they've dealt away a bunch of all-stars. Are they rebuilding? Are they not? They won't really say, but Hanniger's a guy that I'd love to have. So if I could go make two moves, those are the two I'd make. If Hanniger's off the table, I'll take a year of Nick Castellanos and, and roll him out there in right field. Oh, God. And just, that's future just, brave all over. I, I know. Right. Oh, God, that's going to happen. Yep, that's yeah, it. I, I will, that's right I will have the Braves defensive wizards do what they did for Marquecas last year, which is put him in the right spot to make the plays and let him mash because that guy can hit, I can tell you that. And that would be a nice little thumper to put in the midst of that Braves order as well to give it a little bit more length in that lineup. So there's a couple okay. moves I'd make. And uh, otherwise, I pretty much expect the opening day roster to look very similar from last year's second half, plus a I Brian agree. McCann, plus a Josh Donaldson. And, and hopefully plus a starting pitcher who can be on the on the bump opening day to help lead a younger Braves rotation into 2019. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to bet on Dallas Keuchel. That feels like the more likely position there. But um, be interesting. Yeah, I, I'm going to bet on Keuchel, and then they platoon right field would be my best guess. They're going to go Adam Jones and somebody else. I don't think Marquez is back. I think someone's going to over, overpay for him. I don't know who it is, but. Someone's going to do it. And uh, I don't know. It should be interesting. I'm a lot of their future, like we talked about, and we disagree yep. on Dansby and Ozzy and guys like that. D- depending on how you feel about those guys, that's um, that's going to kind of dictate where this team goes and how they operate over the next couple of years because they Most have a Cunha. But uh, outside of that, and I guess a couple more years of Freeman, I'm just uh, I'm interested and uh, not as optimistic as you are but i hope for the best and grant i really do appreciate it um plug your great podcast around uh the league around the hoop around the everything everything's around the nfl now there's around the nfl around baseball around the big leagues is the one that you do but uh, what uh should people look out for this week the upcoming weeks um with the winter meetings going on 
Well, uh, with those all wrapped up, we did our little recap of that. I, I host Around the Big League. It's a podcast you can find on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify now. That's brand new. Uh, Stitcher and Google Play as well. Uh, so you can subscribe there. You can also go to AroundTheBigLeagues.com. That's where all my articles are and blogs and just uh, any other baseball content I can come up with. You can find the podcast there as well. But myself and former big leaguer Nick Green, who now works for Fox Sports South, um, so you've probably seen Nick around if you've watched a lot of Braves baseball. Uh, we just kind of chop up what's going on on the hot stove and what the Atlanta Braves have done and maybe what they might do. So we'll do a little bit of that. Uh, and new episodes every Friday for Around the Big Leagues. So just uh, check it out. And, you know, we always appreciate the fan feedback and, and the reviews and all the good stuff that can come with that. And we like to make it a little bit of an interactive show. So we're going to be doing a nice big Q&A on, uh, on this week's episode. So it should be a lot of fun. And looking forward to finding out what the Braves do and when exactly they do it. All right, Grant, this has been great. I really do appreciate taking the time, sir. You got it. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, and I am now joined by Steven Saipa of AmazingAvenue.com, one of my favorite Mets blogs to read every day. Steven, good evening. How are you? I'm doing good, Chase. How are you doing? I'm doing better than any Met that is a starting pitcher that has the nickname Thor at the moment, I would say. Yeah, it's been a kind of harrowing couple of weeks with that. It's um, it's really weird, the Noah Syndergaard stuff, because everyone's trying to kind of extrapolate Brody. Can we call him Brody at this point? Do we have to go the full name with him? Yep. Brody's fine. There aren't that many other Brodies in baseball. so Right, and he looks like a Brody. You see him and you're like, okay, that guy looks like a sports agent. So um, he is your new GM. He beat out a lot of candidates um, for this position. Uh, it turns out that being good friends with a Wilpon uh, or just a team owner in general can uh, pay dividends down the line. So shout out to him for networking, I guess, his way to a GM job. But um, this is weird, man, because everybody like – is kind of like, oh, he's related to this guy. He, because um, Syndergaard was a former client of his and, you know, he used to rep Robinson Cano and there's like all these different things where it's like, he's going to do this because he knows this guy or he's going to do that as a favor to this guy. Um, are you already sick of people just kind of uh, <laughs> analyzing every move this guy makes through the prism of he was a former agent, so this is probably what he's going to do? I mean, it's definitely, there's definitely some gray murky territory when it comes to using his kind of insider knowledge as a former agent and then applying that as a new GM. I would assume that um, he tries not to, or at least doesn't as far as it would be creating a conflict of interest between the team himself, the players, whatever. But I mean, you can't always negate whatever kind of insider information that you do have. It's not like you could turn, you know, on or off your your knowledge that so and so has, you know, a, a ticking time bomb knee or something like that. So I mean, there's definitely is, I think, to a degree, some some degree of insider information that he is going to be using. But I don't think it's as cut and dry as you know, he repped these guys. He's going to go get these guys. When you first learned that he was going to be the next general manager of the New York Mets, what was your immediate reaction? Just thank uh, God it wasn't Omar Minaya. Right. I mean, I really didn't know him. I don't know much about him. You know, it's not like you really 
we, it's not like we really have that much information about, you know, agents. They're not as, you know, sexy as other parts of baseball, other than Scott Boris, of course. But uh, it, it's something out of the box. And with the money woes that the Mets have had the last couple of years, you know, maybe outside of the box thinking will be a good thing. Do you actually believe that? I, I didn't feel like you're. No, I don't believe in. any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the moves that he's made so far, I feel, are improvements to the team now, but um, not to the degree that the Mets are going to be contenders, barring some major move between now and opening day. But he hasn't done anything that I consider catastrophic either, so the jury's still out. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't traded Cindergard yet, which is good, I think, right? Like, are you open to trading Cindergard? If- no. Okay. No, not whatsoever. So I, I don't see. Are you okay with trading? And why is it Zach Wheeler? Um, I mean, I would not cry if they traded Zach Wheeler, mm-hmm. assuming they got back something decent in return. Uh, really, I wouldn't be at a loss if they traded anybody that's not Degrom or Syndergaard, starting pitcher wise. And yeah. if they got rid of Jason Vargas, that would be completely fine too. Oh, that was not a good signing. That was uh, that was not good last year. It turned no. out. Jason Vargas not actually good anymore. But shout out to him for his longevity because he has been around an insanely long time. He's like Francisco Lariano and all these other guys that just they hang around and keep popping up in weird spots. And it feels like they've been on every team in baseball. Like Vargas has been a Mariner, a Royal. I I swear he's been on every team in baseball. But um, yeah, that did not go well. And it, it was just kind of weird to see the Mets kind of struggle with starting pitching depth based on. Um, what they had going into the year, but they're just an interesting team. And that's why I really want to talk to you about this team tonight, because I think we kind of know what the Braves are. And I just talked to Graham McCauley of around the big leagues to talk about some of the stuff that's going on in the NL East. And I still think the Phillies are a sleeping giant, but I think the Mets are the most interesting because they trade for Cano and they, uh, uh, the Mariners keep a lot of the salary and everything else, but he's going to have to play first and he's going to play a lot of first. And that whole side of the infield already was very fascinating with McNeil having this kind of late 20s resurgence because I don't think any of us saw that coming out of him this year but he's a legitimate I think everyday player and then you have Alonzo waiting in the wings and can we call him a social media superstar at this point he's a must follow um, if you're a sports fan or not you don't have to be a Mets fan to enjoy this guy I, I like him I'm excited when he gets to the big leagues but are you at all concerned that this, I mean, even though they got Edwin Diaz, who's going to be great for them, and bullpen was a huge issue for them last year and bringing back Familia and everything, but are you concerned at all about where Cano fits and what he's he might do to inhibit what the Mets can do with McNeil and Alonzo at second and first? Uh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I was fine with that trade um, in terms of what they gave up, you know, Kellenic was a good prospect to have, but I don't see him becoming like a baseball superstar. Mm-hmm. And Justin Dunn, um, ever since the day he was tra- uh, drafted, I was kind of the low man on him at Amazing Avenue and on, you know, Mets prospect groupings in general. So I wasn't, you know, it wasn't devastating for me. And Cano is still a good player. Um, his bat is maybe not as potent as it was two, three years ago, but it's still, it's still good. He's still, yeah, I mean, he's still one of the, I would say top three, uh, bats on the, on the Mets as they stand right now. I think he can play second base solidly enough that the Mets are going to go with him at second. 
And I think that would kind of make McNeil uh, a utility player that jumps around. Maybe he's not going to play every single day, but his bat is going to get in there, you know, four or five times a, a week. Um, maybe so a little bit. Johan Camargo. Yeah, a little bit. Of, I'm not the highest guy on Todd Frazier. Okay. Um, and I good last year. Yes. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people are probably in with me on that. Yeah. And um, the Mets don't exactly have an heir apparent for third base once Frazier is either completely ineffective or, or is gone. Well, Ahmed Rosario, I'm I mean, holding out you... hope on him. <sighs> He's... I, I don't know. I'm not... Or, I mean, how about let's just bring back Jose Reyes for one more year. Let's do that again. Uh, wasn't really the best thing to do. No, it was not. Unless you're trying he, to lose baseball games, then for sure bring Jose Reyes back and have him hit as much as humanly possible. That is I mean, definitely something you should do. As the guy that handles the draft on Mason Avenue, I'm a little bit okay with that. Okay. There you go. <laughs> um, but, I mean, then you have the exciting guys in the outfield that is complicated with um Conforto and Cespedes and uh, I just I don't know how it works like how would you bet this outfield depth unfolds over the next couple months and who plays where and who gets the most amount of starts like are you already thinking about how they're going to prioritize this outfield well one of the biggest issues I guess with the Mets is getting an, an outfielder but with the way everything is configured you don't want to necessarily get a full-time outfielder because right. you have Conforto and Nimmo. And that Cespedes, right, and Cespedes will be coming back from his injury eventually. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to go with an outfield of Nimmo, Conforto, and then, you know, Lagares. You know, Lagares mm-hmm. is a great fielder, but as a hitter, he's not that good. He's an incredible fielder. Oh, he's I can't tell me how one many of the times best. I've watched. I remember one of the early games last year I was watching. I think it was the Mets and uh, I think Gio was pitching. It was Gio versus uh, Mats. And I don't know if you remember this game, but Lagaris had like this insane throw from center and throughout. I want to say Rendon or some. It may have been Taylor, but it was one of those throws where you're just like, Jesus, this guy. If he ever learned how to hit, like just his value would be incredible. But it's just, it's not going to happen. His bat is just, it's bad. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he, if he could get on base at a at a higher clip, that would be nice. But I mean, he's a 299 on base guy, and that's just right. too low He'd to be a really. Great mariner. He should have been included in that deal. <laughs> <laughs> All defense, no hitting. We'll see how that pays out for him. Jerry DePoto, trying, uh, to, trying to figure stuff out over there. Shout out to him. More trades. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, but like, I. This Mets outfield, like you said, they can't go and get an everyday fit. Like, you're not going to get that guy because he knows you have Nemo, he knows you have Cespedes, and he knows you have Conforto. So unless you're planning on moving one of those guys, no everyday player is going to want to go play in New York if you're an outfielder right now because you know that your playing time is going to be limited once Cespedes comes back. So I don't know. It should be interesting to see what happens there. But, I mean, I guess, like, somebody like adam jones would potentially make sense as like some guy who would be okay like mccutcheon before he got signed would have made sense to me Um, yeah i mean they signed uh rajah davis recently to a minor league contract but i mean he's very similar to lagares he's not a hitter not a great hitter solid defense you you need a guy that's willing to take a step back and be a part-time player but at the same time you need a guy that you know it's he's not going to be a terrible baseball player and that's kind of a hard middle ground to find so, who are you higher on over the next five years, Nemo or Conforto? Um, Nemo, because yes. I 
find that his baseball skill set is broader than Conforto, so mm-hmm. he has a little bit more stuff to fall back on. You know, he has a better eye. He doesn't have as much power. He has a decent amount of power, though. I mean, I was um, going to say he's turned it. He's one of the launch angle guys that had yeah. power coming up and learned how to use the launch angle, and now he's a he's a dinger. And I think he is a better outfielder than most give him credit for. Um, I think he could be, you know, a solid to maybe slightly below average center fielder. Whereas Conforto, I am not as sold on his center field skills. Oh, okay. Sounds like you'd be okay with trading Conforto. Uh, if the price is right, really, I would be open to, to trading anybody on this team right now. Anybody? Except for DeGrom and Syndergaard. Okay. Even Alonzo? Uh, yeah, if the price is right. Alonzo, he is an amaz- he, he's going to be an amazing offensive player. But defensively, he is, um, how to put it, not bad, but mm. a an adventure. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I saw a bunch of him the last season in Double A Binghamton, mm-hmm. which is um, he will make plays that should come as you know, basic as walking for a first baseman. He'll make them look very difficult. Okay. He'll just he'll miss misread you know pop ups. He won't position himself properly on on throws or ground balls. It's not every play, obviously, but these are things that should just, you know, first baseman should be able to do in this leap. Huh. I just feel like he's going to be one of those beneficiaries of just an insanely weak um, first base group in baseball these days, where it's just like you look across the league and like Mitch Moreland was almost an all-star last year. And oh, yeah. he's he's just going to be exciting and fun. And you already have Freddie Freeman in the, in the NL East. And you're just, I could just see a scenario where Alonzo just becomes like one of those guys that everybody really enjoys. And is just this really good player that he's not as good as people see like he, people think he is, but he might get some all-star appearances just because of just how bad the first base position is these days. Yeah, I mean he's he is a uh, he hasn't made his major league debut or anything yet, so it's not like you can project with any kind of certainty what kind of seasons these these those kinds of guys are going to have. But I I foresee him being like a two sixty to two seventy five hitter with like thirty home runs, and that it's is a damn good player. Yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. All right. So last thing, then we'll go. Uh, how do you see the season? unfolding for the Mets because you have the Braves who are committed to being cheap and are going to do as little as humanly possible to upgrade what they have right now. And they're banking on Dansby and Albies and a bunch of other young guys uh, getting to that next level like Acuna. Uh, Do you think the Nationals are going to rebound even without Harper just because they signed Patrick Corbin and that rotation looks solid and Soto is still a really good player. He's probably going to be an MVP one day. Or are you buying the Mets stuff? Or are you buying the Phillies, who I think are at least going to sign Machado and or Bryce Harper and spend some more money? So how do you see the top of the NL East unfolding? Uh, well, the Mets are probably not going to be up there. Um, okay. Honestly, I think that the Braves are the, the team to beat right now in the NL East. Their pitching staff is just... Very good right now, and they have guys in the minor leagues that are going to make it even better. Uh, Acuna, obviously, is Acuna, and he's just kind of scratching the surface of his potential. 
Uh, the Phillies are not a team to sleep on. And the Nationals, I don't know. I mean, there's there's the history with Harper there. They could, you know, tomorrow morning we could wake up and, and they've agreed to terms with Harper and then the they have Bryce Harper. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of ways that Man, that'd be the wild division if he ended back up in uh, Washington after all of this. That would I'm, be pretty crazy. There's a surprisingly little amount of uh, you know courting going on with him. So yeah. I don't get it. Maybe people are really concerned about his defense from this past year. Maybe they're like, "Ooh, this huge. This is not just a blip for him, and he's maybe a DH in a couple of years." Maybe that's part of the reason. I don't know. Um, but I love Bryce and if the Braves could sign him that and play right field, because right now the Braves, let me check my notes. That's right. They don't have a right fielder. Um, that would be cool. That would, that would be good. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, as you can tell, I'm a little dubious of the Braves going forward and being ahead of schedule and not spending money when you're ahead of schedule. Seems like a recipe for disaster. Shout out to the Minnesota twins and what they did two years ago and where they are now. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Uh, Steven, I really do appreciate, uh, you taking the time. Uh, can you, uh, plug anything this week? Are you working on anything? I know, um, Mason Avenue has a bunch of great stuff popping out every day. Um, uh, but is there anything specific that you wanted to, uh, get out there before we go? Uh, well, I'm finishing our top 25 prospects list. I was actually doing that this afternoon and it should be up. I, I like to put it up January 1st, new, new year, new list. So I'll plug that. All right. Top five first. Who do you have? Oh, uh, well, I can't say. That's giving away too much. All right, give me one of the five. All right, well, uh, I'll put it out there since I've hinted it on the site. Uh, Peter Alonso is our okay. number one prospect. There you go. You heard it here first. Peter Alonso, the number one Mets prospect. That's uh, it's good. It's a good place to be, but we'll see. Um, I think baseball is better when the Mets are not just just functional mess. And, uh, hey, maybe the Wolves will sail one day. You never know. Steven, I appreciate it, and uh, let's talk again soon, sir. All right. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. We're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, and I am now joined by Daniel Popper of The Athletic. He is the Jaguars beat writer, and talking before the podcast, I think Daniel's sick of uh, covering the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think he's looking for a new beat next year because the Jaguars have broken him like Blake Bortles has broken all Jaguars fans this season. <laughs> That's partly true. Partly true. Yeah. I was certainly expecting, this is my first year covering the team, so I was certainly expecting a Super Bowl contender, and instead I got one of the worst teams in the NFL. So That's life, though. Isn't that fun though? Kind of like it's better to be like either a train wreck. I feel like if you're covering a team or a good, like an amazing team, but there's nothing more boring than covering like the Panthers this year. Like they're probably gonna go like seven and nine or like these teams where it's, they're fine. They're not great. Like the Broncos this year. Oh my God. Where it's like, they might sneak in, but we know they're not a real Super Bowl threat. And like, uh, I mean, I guess Phil Lindsay's fun. Sure. Great. Um, whatever but i just i I don't know i I feel like the jaguars have been especially interesting to me this year like are you not enjoying jalen ramsey being slowly destroyed by blake bortles um performance from week to week and having cody kessler go six of ten for 55 yards in a victory yeah i mean you either want one or the other right like you either want a really really good team or you want to see everything blow up in their faces in Mm -hmm. dramatic fashion 
Um, and I definitely got the latter one. Uh, but yes, yeah, it's, it's been pretty fascinating to see it all kind of unravel. Um, you know, obviously this team had massive expectations before the season and hasn't gone anywhere close to plan. Uh, they extended Blake Bortles in the off season, and now it appears as though they're going to move on from him this off season uh, and eat a bunch of dead money. Um, so it's, it's also going to be really interesting to see sort of what the fallout is from all of this. You know, uh, they extended Tom Coughlin, the executive vice president of football operations in the offseason. They extended the GM, Dave Caldwell. They extended the head coach, Doug Marone. And now there's a possibility that all three guys get fired at the end of the season because of just how badly it's all gone. So there are certainly storylines to follow. So I don't want everyone to take it the wrong way. I'm definitely enjoying covering the team. And there's been a, uh, definitely a lot to write about. I didn't even consider that Tom Coughlin and Caldwell might be in jeopardy. I just assumed that for at least one more year, Doug Marone's going to be the fall guy. He did the stereotypical fired the offensive coordinator first, Nathaniel Hackett, a guy he's been with for like 20 years, and that had to be tough for him. And that seems like a desperation move to move on from him at this point. But um, I didn't even consider Coughlin because it feels, what is this, year two? Is this year three or year two since he joined? Year two. The so he, yeah. they, they brought him on in January of 2017. So right after the 2016 season, yeah. Man, that would be wild because I feel like that's not even really been talked about right now, right? Like no one's yeah. really considering Coughlin. Like that would be just brutal. Him to come back and like the team where he took a team, just the Brunel years and how much that fan base likes him and yeah. just how respected he is to just go from Super Bowl contender one game from the Super Bowl to getting fired the next year. That's wild. I yeah, haven't I, considered it. Yeah, I don't think personally – I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think that the, the the most likely scenario is that they move on from Caldwell just because he's been with the team since 2013. And he was really the guy. He drafted Bortles, of course, but he was the guy who was championing Bortles through all this time and probably likely was the one who convinced Tom Coughlin to sign off on giving Bortles the extension. Um, and so they can sort of pin the quarterback situation on Caldwell uh, and keep Coughlin. I would be really shocked if they moved on from Coughlin uh, just because he was, like you said. I mean, like he, he said on the radio that they were a whistle away from the Super Bowl and referring yeah. to that Miles Jack play. And mm. so in that sense, I think that Tom Coughlin's going to stay. That would be my guess. And I really don't think they're going to move on from Doug Marone either just because you can make the same really? case. He's only been there. I mean, this is his second season, and he had the team in the AFC Championship game last year when no one expected it. Um, Marone is also Coughlin's handpicked guy. When Coughlin took the job, he said that he wanted Marone to stay on as head coach. Obviously, he was him after Gus Bradley was fired in 16. So the most likely scenario is that Caldwell is the fall guy. Marone stays and Coughlin also stays. But really, at this point, like I could see them doing anything. I could see them keeping all three. I could see them moving on Caldwell and keeping Coughlin and Marone. I could see them firing all three, to be honest, just because the season has been such a catastrophe. So that's really what I'm fascinated to see sort of as the season ends and we head into the offseason is what Shad Khan, the owner, decides to do with his front office. Yeah, I mean, Caldwell makes the most sense to me and for a lot of the reasons you laid out. And it's just like if you're going to move on from Bortles, you have to move on from the guy that uh, gave you Blake Bortles. It's like, a, yeah. it's just, <laughs> this is how it works. And you hit your wagon to um, a quarterback like that. And just seeing it all blow up in your face, you kind of have to do it. But then again, it's like, that's not really fair. Cause he really built this perfect defense from a year ago. And I mean, he fired uh, Gus Bradley and promoted Doug Marone. And that turned out to be a big 
big thing for them. It was the right move and it pushed this team in the right direction. And um, I don't know. It feels like he's made a lot of pretty sound moves. You know, he's not Gene Smith. So that's a step up for Jaguars fans because I don't think they want to bring back um, the Smith days. Is it Gene Smith or is am I the previous GM who was there for like 15 years? Am I misremembering that? Is he not Gene Smith? No, I think you're right. Okay, I, would, I, I, would so. I just feel like Gene Smith is also the AD of Ohio State, so I was second-guessing myself for a second there, and I'm like, is there two Gene Smiths who have uh, personnel power in football? Is that right? Okay. Um, just want to protect myself on that front before people are like, it's not Gene Smith, it's Greg Smith. No, it, you're correct. Um, oh, nine, yeah. 2012 was Gene Smith, yep. Perfect. Um, not a great era for Jags. <laughs> yeah, not a great <laughs> and, era. Uh, the cutboard was pretty dry when Dave Caldwell came in, and... Yep. He's replenished it. I mean, he drafted Jalen Ramsey. He drafted Miles Jack. He's drafted um, a lot of important guys. He signed Clayus Campbell. Like, he's done, uh, like, Malik Jackson. You go up and down the list. Like, he, uh, Allen Robinson before he left. And I uh, I don't know. I feel like he's done a pretty solid job. And if it comes down to just him just kind of screwing up the quarterback pick and hitching his wagon to the wrong guy, like, I don't know. I feel like he's made a lot of great moves. I guess the bigger thing is, like, what Caldwell and Coughlin's relationship is like. Are they close? Are they have that since you've been around the team, do you think that that is a normal working relationship or is it like a John Gruden, Reggie McKenzie thing where it's always felt like dead man walking for the GM once they brought in the ex coach to kind of run things? Yeah, no, it's, they definitely have a working relationship, but I don't think that they're super close. Like obviously Caldwell isn't Coughlin's guy because he was there yeah. sort of before Coughlin came back. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's the type of situation where they have this, really close personal relationship and Coughlin would be hesitant to let him go because of that relationship. Um, and that's why it seems like it's sort of a viable scenario where Caldwell does let go is let go. But I mean, Coughlin, it was really Coughlin who, who urged Shad Khan to uh, promote Doug Marone and give him the full-time gig. Um, Coughlin basically, Khan basically went to Coughlin and was like, okay, who would, who would we want to coach the team? And he had already thought that he was the guy and Coughlin said his first choice would be Marone, so they were sort of on the same page there, and they decided that Marone was the guy moving forward. But just going back to what you said about Caldwell, you're absolutely right. The guy has made some really good picks. I mean, you go to that 2016 draft, you mentioned, obviously, Jalen Ramsey in the first round and Miles Jack in the second. He also got Yannick Ngakwe in the third round. Right. Um, they made some tremendous free agent signings. You mentioned Campbell, but A.J. Boye needs to be thrown in there, yeah. uh, who had sort of a down year this year, but he was outstanding in 2017. Malik Jackson was really good last year, but they're probably going to move on from this year because he's had a pretty bad year. But at the same time, you have to take all of his successes and also put them next to his failures. He drafted Luke Jokel early in the first round, and that guy's no longer in the league. Um, and ultimately, you need to find a quarterback. That is the number one priority for any GM in the NFL because you don't win without a quarterback. Um, and not only did he pick the wrong quarterback, the more damning part is that he continued to support wholeheartedly a quarterback who pretty much everyone else in the world knew was not a capable NFL starter. Um, and so doubling down on Bortles, giving him the extension, continuing to urge everyone that he was a capable guy, uh, that really might end up being his downfall. Yeah, I don't know. I would just give No, it's tough. It's definitely tough. It's definitely tough. And I'm also like not sure I want Tom Coughlin running – all of my personnel decisions at this point in his career. 
Yeah. Like, I don't know if that would sit well with me. That's kind of like why I, it's kind of the best of both worlds. And kind of the reason we liked the Jags so much is like Coughlin, like you said, he, he wanted Doug Marone. That was the right pick. He knows how to, he knows how to kind of navigate the coaching waters of like, this guy is clearly good at his job. And Doug Marone, I do think is a good head coach. Um, but at the same time, like, do you really trust him at his age? And just this point, like, is it going to be a Bill Parcells, Miami Dolphins situation? Or like, I, I just, I would be very scared about moving on from a guy who drafted uh, Telvin Smith in like the fifth round. And yeah, no, no question. He's just got an eye for talent. I just, yeah. the Leonard Fournette thing was also an under talked about mess up for him where like, that's just clearly not worked out at all. And him coming back didn't save their season and it's just that has not gone well but i just i would keep i would keep this group i think and just give this whole trio an opportunity to find a new quarterback which leads me to my next question do you think coughlin is willing to draft a quarterback in the first round next year and go down the development route and just kind of wait it out to see what happens there or do you think they're going to go like oh let's call teddy bridgewater let's see what happens there do we go after tyrod taylor do we trade for Derek carr do we go after Jameis? like how do you think they approach the quarterback situation this offseason do you think they go in the draft and coughlin's like that's fine we'll do five years and wait on that or do they kind of get antsy and say this defense is ready to win now um and we need to find the right quarterback to get us back on track at the present time. Yeah, that's really the question facing the team right now. And, uh, you know, I personally, I think they have to take a quarterback in the first round because ultimately you need a long-term plan at quarterback. Um, and I don't think it's one or the other. I think ultimately what you're going to see is they're going to take a quarterback in the first round and then they're going to try and find that bridge guy to, that will get them to the rookie quarterback while still being able to contend next year. I don't think that's really the correct decision because I don't see this team contending in 2019 just because the offense is, so, is lacking in talent to such a massive degree. Um, the, the options really are, you know, they, the hope is that Nick Foles gets cut by the Eagles and he's available. The hope is that oh, Joe Flacco gets cut by the Ravens and he's available. Um, but I, I just like, and I, I was on the radio earlier tonight talking about this. Like, I just don't, like, I don't think this team is a contender with Nick Foles under center. I don't think this team is a contender with Joe Flacco under center. And there really aren't any other great options. You talk like, like, Josh McCown, you talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tyrod Taylor. Um, those are the guys you're talking about. Are those guys going to lead you to a Super Bowl? Even even if the defense gets back to 2017 form, like I don't see that happening. So there's only like one was, team that I'm okay with, like kind of going the veteran QB carousel and hoping that you you catch lightning in a bottle, and that's the Denver Broncos with John Elway. Like we need to go ahead and say. This guy cannot evaluate quarterbacks in the draft. He drafted yeah. Exton Lynch and he got uh, like Brock Osweiler was his guy. And it's just, I let him just get a big time free agent sign and get in a Peyton Manning, go after those kind of guys. Like if he can trade for Matt Stafford, go do it right now, John, because I just, I would not trust him drafting any quarterbacks in the first round. But outside of that, I think the better route as we've seen across the league is to, draft somebody and uh, develop them and it's just going to be painful and when you have an older front office exec i in a team that's just was a game away from a super bowl it's hard to swallow like the cardinals went through that with carson palmer where they were yeah. very close and they were the fate like people already forgot that this was a super bowl favorite a couple of years ago now they have like the worst roster in the nfl and that's in play for the jaguars in a couple like seeing what happens with Jalen and everybody else like this might be a completely different looking team next year and we already 
discussed. Like the offensive line's not good. The receiver position has been extremely depleted. Betting on Dante Moncrief has not panned out. Um, Shocker. Yeah, who could have seen that coming? <laughs> but uh, it is interesting because I think the right way to go about this is I'm right there with you. Is like you sign Tyrod when he gets cut by the Browns and then you draft like Will Greer. I love Will Greer. He's my favorite quarterback in the draft. And mm-hmm. I feel like he'd actually be really good for this for this team. I don't know how Florida fans, because you're in Jacksonville. You know yeah. how many Gator fans are in that oh, yeah. area. And I don't know how that, how receptive they'd be to yeah. um, ex-Florida quarterback who uh, left over... Was it HGH or something? Um, yeah, it was. It was a whole mess of a situation. But bring him back, I don't, baby. I don't think bring Will Greer revered. back to Jacksonville. I don't think he's exactly revered in Northeast Florida. I would, right. That's how I would put it. That'd be but great. I mean, though. It, I'm all yeah. here for it. But I, I think I mean, like honestly, they're going to end up with like a top five pick. That's how the season is going. I don't really see them winning any of these two games. So you're talking about four and twelve. They, they, they're going to be in play for definitely a top five pick, maybe a top three pick. Um, and then you're talking about potentially being the first team that wants to take a quarterback in the draft. So you're looking at Justin Herbert. You're looking at Dwayne Haskins. I don't think Herbert's coming out. You don't think so? No, I mean, his brother oh. is going to Oregon, and he's always said that he wants to play a year with his brother. That's a his lot of money be a on the table. Because honestly, like, because, he's from Eugene. Like he grew up a huge Oregon Ducks fan. Like that's all he's ever wanted to be was like the Oregon Duck quarterback, kind of like um, Ellinger at Texas. Like they yeah. just grew up around the area and have just always wanted to be this thing. And he also has the brother thing. Like I don't think Herbert's leaving. But that's the same. That's the same thing with Sam Darnold. Like he grew up in Santa Monica and like was a USC guy. And but then ultimately realized that like he could be a top three pick, and that just wasn't financially like viable to to stay in but school. But if you're gonna lose in jeopardy money. of being drafted by the Raiders, number one and number two overall, you need to uh, stay at Oregon. Yeah, but are the Raiders going to take a quarterback? I don't know. Like, are they moving on from Derek Carr? Oh, for sure. I, I think the Derek Carr stuff, there's no way John Gruden is running that back. Like, I don't think John Gruden's also taking a quarterback in the first round. I think he's, like, him and Jameis were meant to be together next year. <laughs> it's so dark. That's so dark. Oh I mean, my if God. I had to bet on who the quarterback of the Raiders is for John Gruden next year, it's James Winston. Oh, my God. So what, they're going to trade Carr? Yeah. I can see Carr I, in New York next year. That's my bet. Is I think Derek Carr is the starting quarterback for the New York Giants next year. Yeah. I Listen, if, they're, if Carr's available, then the Jaguars should absolutely try and trade for him. But the, the question is, like, what is he going to command because the cap hits so high? And can the Jaguars really mortgage all that draft capital for a quarterback when they have so many holes to fill as is? They already traded their fifth round pick for Carlos Hyde. You know, the question is like, could they could they put a player in the deal for Derek Carr? And that's where it starts to get interesting. Like, could they could they put Leonard Fournette in a deal with a pick and get Carr and then clear the cap space to, to bring him on? I, that would be like if they're really looking to contend in 2019. That seems like the only option for the Jaguars, just because like none of these other free agent quarterbacks to me make them good enough to contend. If they get Derek Carr in there. Now you're like, okay, maybe, maybe they can contend. Um, but I think it's going to take too much draft capital and it doesn't make sense. But like you said, and this is a really good point, Tom Coughlin's going to be 73. Like he's not at the age where he's going to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just Yeah, let's wait till I'm 78 to really go for it again. Yeah, exactly. Like he can't do that, which honestly, like that's, a, that's sort of an indictment of the organization for bringing on yes. somebody that old to run your football operations. Just put you never be as an advisor. For like, hey, what do you right. think of Doug Marone as a coach? All right, bye, Tom. Thanks for the advice. Right. Enjoy retirement. 
but you shouldn't be like at the whim of like this old man's like approach to death, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus, like, getting like, dark, you have a guy yeah, sure. <laughs> what'd you say? Getting dark over here, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> now you now understand what my radio appearances are all about, man. My podcast. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. But oh I my mean, God. Like, like they're going to end up trying to contend in 2019 because Tom Coughlin is getting close to retiring and it's going to end up screwing over the organization in the long haul. Yeah. You know, and that, like if they really were approaching this the correct way, they'd look at their roster and be like, we can't contend in 2019. So let's draft, let's build the roster for 2020. And then, and then you'd be in a situation where you'd have a long-term plan at quarterback. You'd have more talent on the roster. Um, and you'd be in a better position in my opinion. Jalen Ramsey, Jacksonville Jaguar in 2019 or no? I, he's best Jaguar. Sorry, I, you cut out a little bit. Do you think he is going to be a Jaguar in 2019? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's okay. definitely going to be a Jaguar in 2019. I mean, there, there, was, there, there was, you know, Schefter threw out that report that they're considering trading him, but they would be stupid to trade him. The guy is so I good. I mean, like, I, like, you hear about it. Like, I was up in New York covering the Jets last year and the previous, like, three years before I moved to Jacksonville to cover this team. Um, and so I think it's a about thing. How Wherever you Sorry. are, the team is just uh, there's a direct correlation between the team you're covering and uh, their play on the field. It's not good. Yeah, it's my fault. Yes, all the fans think it's my fault. <laughs> I, I take all of the blame. Stats um, don't lie. But but watching him play like week to week this year, he's had some bad games. And honestly, about midway through the year, like after he had a terrible game in Indianapolis, I didn't think he was a pro baller. But after that Shepard report came out, he just like turned a switch and he's been dominant, just absolutely dominant. He shuts down opposing receivers. He's a ball. He's a playmaker. He's a ball hawk. Um, I just, they would be silly to move on from him. I think any idea of trading him is ludicrous. Um, and it, realistically, they have him under control through 2021. Yeah. You know, next year is, is the final year of his deal. And then he's got the team option in 2020 and then they can keep him on the franchise tag the year after. So, like they can, they can control it. Well, you they know, players love the franchise tag, so I think the Jaguars should definitely plan on doing that to someone like Jalen Ramsey. For yeah, I mean, years. they're, they're headed for a holdout. That's just how the NFL market works, though. Yeah. Like you saw it with Aaron Donald in LA. Like it's pretty much the same situation. He held out good. briefly before his team option year, and then, um, or he held out briefly before his sport, the fourth year of his contract, and then he held out more vigorously before the team option year, and eventually they gave him the deal. They're going to pay Jalen. It's going to happen at some point. They're going to keep him in Jacksonville for his whole career. Because um, honestly, like trading him would just be the dumbest move possible. Okay, give me one crazy thing you think is going to happen with the Jaguars this offseason. And then two, what do you think the record's going to be in 2019? Oh, boy. Um, one crazy thing I think that happened. I think Leonard Fournette could get traded. Oh, I think wow. that's possible. Okay. Now, j- just because he's angered a lot of people in the organization with this hamstring injury this year, there's certainly a sentiment that he, he wasn't in shape and really hasn't been in shape this season. Obviously he's now been mm. suspended in back-to-back years. Um, I think there's some frustration, obviously. And, and you could, you can read between the lines. They went out and traded for Carlos Hyde. Yeah. Uh, in the middle of the season because they just didn't trust Leonard Fournette. And I think partially we're trying to light a fire under him and be like, Hey man, this is the NFL. You can't just go through the motions. Um, Where's Fred Taylor when you need him? What'd you say? Where's Fred Taylor when you need him? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, people on local radio are talking about like getting Fred to talk to Leonard Fournette and like oh, make that into a relationship. Yeah, because all that's 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 definitely what needs to happen. You have Jimmy Smith calling Dante Moncrief. 
Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mark well, Brunel's like, hey, you know, you went yeah, to me exactly. so. Yeah. So I, don't, I mean, like, I don't think I don't. If I was a betting man, I wouldn't bet that that would happen. But if I'm mm-hmm. giving you a bold take, I think that's. I think that's. What if they just cut him? They would. They would wear so much. I don't even think that's possible. I was looking at his cap sheet, and like they would. Mm. They would wear like an insane dead money charge because those all those rookie contracts are set up that way. Um, yeah. That'd be that wild. Would, though, team trading. I mean, I don't know. Well, then again, the Chiefs, they're in win now mode. They lost their running back. Spencer Ware and Damian Williams are fine, but hmm. I wonder if yeah. they would eat that money just to get another running back in there that like has first round value. I wonder if that's. That's something that could happen. I don't. I don't know. If they, I mean, if they don't win the Super Bowl this year in the off season, potentially. But the real yeah. issue with it, as I've been t- like mulling this over, is just like, like you're, you would be selling him virtually at his lowest value, and that's just yeah. like bad business. So I mean, like right now, if you're like, hey, everybody, we're showing you Leonard Fournette. What would? What kind of offers would you get? Like, would you get a third round pick for him? Like, no. maybe, maybe like third would be like back? best case scenario. I mean. <sighs> If the third would be best case scenario, you're probably looking yeah. at like a fourth round pick. And then you're, you're firing overall. that GM on the spot uh, for doing something like that at this point. Yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. And then uh, 2019 record, I'm going to go for seven and nine. I okay. just don't. That's better than Yeah. What I like, I think they'll be better just because they were so injured on offense this year. Like, they're on their. They're on their fifth string left tackle and Eric Flowers. Like they have two guys starting on the left side of the line that were on the Giants earlier this year. Mm, there are Eric, Eric Flowers and Patrick Omame are okay. starting at left tackle and left guard respectively right now. They're oh, on a backup yeah. center. They're on a backup right tackle who just came off of IR. The only starter they have on the line right now is from the beginning of the season is AJ Can, who is a free agent this season. They don't plan on resigning him. Um, Let's bring back Luke Jokel. Yeah, right, exactly. So I think, like, if they, with a healthy offense, obviously Marquise Lee's been out the whole year, so with a healthy offense, I think you're looking at a better team. But you can't win in the NFL without a quarterback. And, like, I don't know who's going to play quarterback for this team. So unless they, like, just nail this quarterback pick in the first round and the guy comes out well, and somehow, baby. Or, yeah, whoever it is, if the guy can come out and ball in the first season, like, do what Baker Mayfield's doing, then – then maybe you win more games than that, but obviously I don't see that happening. So seven and nine, lock it in. Okay. I have two and 14. Oh my God. This smells I, I, like I, I, Arizona I, I, Cardinals to me. This smells like what happened to Arizona where they were built to win. Now Carson was good enough to take this team to the Super Bowl. That defense was stacked. Like the, the Clayus Campbell was on that group. Um, Patrick Peterson, Tyron Matthew, like that defense was top five in the NFL. They were scary. They were good. Bruce Arians was the right coach for them. I think Doug Marone and Bruce Arians have a lot of in common too. Um, it was just a team littered with vets and you were just like, you know, I, I believe in them. This is a team that can win right now, but do I believe in them five years from now? Eh, I don't know. I, I could see this one. This could fall apart very quickly if Carson leaves and um, Bruce obviously leaving did not help things. But like, I could see like the Cardinals have the worst offensive line in football. I watched that entire Falcons game this Sunday. It, it's unbelievable. They go six sacks to the Falcons, which just Vic Beasley looked like a superstar in that game. And whenever you make Vic Beasley look good, um, you have to do a lot of soul searching as a football yeah. team. But um, two and fourteen. Yeah. Wow. I think this is gonna get I, really I, bad. Yeah, I think it's possible. There's no talent on offense. I and know. If they, I think they're going to start moving guys on defense. I don't think Calais Campbell's going to be... like 
you go down the list and you're like, I wonder if these guys, you just see a mass exodus and you're just like, in a year and a half from now, when we are back on the podcast, Daniel, we'll, uh, we'll be like, wow, that just, they're all gone. <laughs> Everybody's yeah, well, gone. I could just the, see it. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. I, I, I really don't think this roster is good next year. I'm trying to shout it from the rooftops that I really don't think this team's going to contend next year. And it could fall apart quickly. And the thing is, the way the Cavs team is set up right now, they have to part ways with a bunch of these defensive guys. Yes. Like Malik Which is Jackson a huge is problem. Getting, Malik Jackson is getting cut. That's a 100% guarantee. Um, they're probably going to have to restructure Calais Campbell. Tashawn Gibson could get cut. Avery Jones could get cut. Barry Church is uh, already gone. Barry Church is already gone. That was like a cut that was going to happen all along um, just because he's been terrible and the money made sense. Um, and they could even cut Marcel Darius because his uh, entire cap hit would be saved if they cut him. There'd be no dead money just the way his contract is set up. Um, that, See, so, I'm telling you, man, this defense is going to look completely different in like a year and a half. We're going to be like, yeah. what? what? Especially if, the, here's the thing, like especially if they're, 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 right now they're, they're projected to be $10 million over the cap. Um, so if they cut all of the guys that they think they're going to cut, they still don't really have the money to go out and pay Nick Foles $20 million a year or pay Joe Flacco $20 million a year, $18 million a year, whatever they're going to end up commanding. So if they're going to go out and do that with a quarterback and pay a veteran, they're going to have to clear even more space, which means more of these bloated defensive contracts getting, getting next. Man. I feel bad. Yeah. Jaguars fans, you know, I want you to do well. I have family in Jacksonville. I have Jacksonville Jaguar fans in my family. I go there a lot, but I just, I think this, this smells bad to me. This is a, a potentially talk. And we never, like, it's so easy to be like, well, I could talk myself into eight and eight. They're not going to be that bad because we never just go out and go, you know what? This just feels like this is a train going off the tracks. And sometimes that just what, that's what happens. Like, there's just a lot yeah. of stuff that I just don't like here. A lot of, yeah. lot of stuff. That I'm, just, I'm with you. Eh. I'm okay. with you on it. I'm with you. Well, I want the best for them. I want the Jaguars to draft Will Greer. I want the city of Jacksonville to have to reconcile with Will Greer returning home and uh, going to every home Florida game, which would be great. That uh, is what he should do. Um, but it'd be fun, you know. Yeah, Jaguars. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. If the Jaguars draft Will Greer, uh, we will record an emergency podcast. Oh my God! I am 100 <laughs> here for it. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Sounds like All a right, plan. man. I really do appreciate it. This was a blast. We can find you on Twitter at Daniel Popper. We can read you at theathletic.com slash Jacksonville, which I check out every day. And if you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, what are you doing? Um, I read it every day. It's great. Daniel, um, is there anything you need to plug? Is there any story about like why Jalen Ramsey uh, is going to spend even more time working out with his father this offseason? Um, is there anything that you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Yeah, I just actually posted a story a couple hours hours ago about um, Tom Coughlin being the ultimate disciplinarian with the Jaguars being a very undisciplined team. Uh, dove into that with some players and stuff. So you can go check that out uh, at theathletic.com slash Jacksonville, as you said. Um, yeah, hopefully you enjoy it. Yeah, all right. Tom Coughlin, disciplinarian. Who knew? <laughs> 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 who knew all right man i really do appreciate it and we will uh talk soon man you got it take care and that'll do it for today's episode of the chase thomas podcast i uh, just want to remind you guys if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on apple podcast or itunes i would really appreciate it if you could take a second leave the show a five-star rating and a review if uh, you're not an apple podcast listener 
Remember, you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com, where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back in another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.